This is The Channel, a podcast from the International Institute for Asian Studies. Welcome to The Channel. I'm Benjamin Linder. Today on the podcast, I'm speaking with Jia Zhao and Daruni Tartuntavidej, both of whom are on the team that organizes the Cinemasia Film Festival. Jia is the artistic director for the festival, and Daruni is a film programmer for Cinemasia and helps organize special events, particularly focusing on LGBTQ programming. Cinemasia is one of the largest and longest-running Asian film festivals in Europe. For nearly two decades, Cinemasia has sought to bring greater attention to Asian cinema and to Asian filmmakers. This year's festival took place from March 7th through March 12th in Amsterdam, and I'm grateful that Jia and Daruni took some time during the festival to talk with me. In the following conversation, we discuss the history of Cinemasia and how it fits into broader cultural conversations about diasporic cultures, Asian identity, and the politics of representation on screen. You can find more information about the festival and its various programs at cinemasia.nl. In the meantime, I'm pleased to present this conversation with Jia Zhao and Daruni Tartuntavidej. Thank you for joining me on the channel. I want to start by just asking both of you a little bit about your backgrounds and how you got into the film world, both generally and here in the Netherlands specifically. John, maybe we could start with you. Okay. I came to the Netherlands uh, as a PhD student, um, but really totally in another direction. Before that, I, I, I did my master in Japan on life sciences, and I went into also pharmaceutical before I came really all the way to become a producer. So I have been producing film since 2010. And uh, so that's how I got into this industry. I think one of the triggers for me to become a producer is this festival called ITFA uh, that happens uh, since 30 years in Amsterdam. So that's I think that somehow turned me on to become a producer. It's a short version for this. So uh, I actually, I have always been, since I'm among the audience for Cinemasia, since it exists. Um, And actually since 2022, I'm uh, asked to um, become the artistic director of the festival. I feel it is, for me also, uh, yeah, because I'm a producer. So actually it's also uh, learning by doing. I feel that it's experience but that is also a very uh, warm experience uh, also to the to, together with the team because after COVID, of course, we really had to recenter. Uh, and so after 2022 edition, now we arrived the 2023 edition. I feel that the team also is really moving towards a new era of this festival as well. Um, yeah, all together. So that's where I am. Daruni, how about you? Um, so my name is Daruni Tatantawide, and I'm a um, programmer and um, special event coordinator for Cinemation Film Festival. Um, so how it all began was I had a educational background in architecture, and then I came to the Netherlands in 
2014 to further my studies in uh, design. So I did um, a master at the Design Academy in Eindhoven. And at the end of my studies, I decided that actually I was more interested in curating. But that wasn't very much opportunity for me because I think I was I wasn't really interested in like art curation or any specific type of curation. I think I was quite vague with that because for me it's it's all about putting things together in order to communicate a message. And so um, I was looking for a different work opportunity and wasn't very um, fortunate with that. So I started looking further and further and sort of came across Cinemation Film Festival and wrote a sort of letter of introduction and they have kindly let me in since. So ever since then, I've been working on um, producing the special events, especially the LGBTQ queer events of the festival. So as we record this, Cinemasia Festival is actually happening right now. Um, by the time this gets released, it will have passed already. But the festival was actually founded about 20 years ago to promote Asian cinema in the Netherlands. What can you tell us about the origins of Cinemasia and kind of its early years and its early genesis here in the Netherlands? So Cinemasia was initially founded as a biannual film festival mostly centering on the queer and Asian experience. But over the years, it grew into a pan-Asian film festival, which also became an annual event. So, yeah, it has sort of evolved from there, actually. So the origin is very much quite queer. And the film festival was founded by a filmmaker, Doris Young. She's a Hong Konger-American. And she's actually currently our um, executive director at Cinemasia. And one of the key goals, as I understand it, was to bring greater awareness to Asian cinema, but also the Asian experience generally, both in Asia and beyond Asia and the diaspora. Why do you think it was important for the founders and continuing now as to people very much involved in the festival these days? Why is that important? Why was it important? And why does it continue to be important to raise awareness about Asian culture and Asian cinema here in Europe? I think this festival, as uh, Darini said, exists already since 20 years and time changes as well. So back then, I think uh, it was really very much the vision of the festival to have a platform uh, for filmmakers and also to nurture the film talents and to nurture the voice from Asia. And uh, th- that is also because back then, I think uh, Asian films, but also Asian cultures are uh, were even more underrepresented than it is now. So that's how the film festival originated. And coming, of course, through all these 20 years, I think Asia also has been placed differently in the, I mean, in general, not only from media point of view. And I feel that we would like to become even uh, more of a, I would say, uh, a window to curate Asian stories as the Asian story required to be curated. And and also to become a go-to place even more than ever for international collaboration for filmmaking about Asia, with Asia, and by Asians. 
You both introduced your kind of background and your current role at Cinemasia. So, Ja, you're the artistic director, and Daruni, you're the film programmer with a special focus on LGBTQ programming. I wonder if you could say a little bit more about what that actually entails on a day-to-day basis as you're planning this big event in Amsterdam. Okay, so as a film programmer, we put together the film selection program in for the festival, so within this festival, we have um, different sections. So there's the competition section, which is uh, films that are made by up-and-coming filmmakers. Usually they have less than three feature films beforehand. That, that's, what, that's the sort of benchmark for the competition section. And the other section is the panorama section, which is like a sort of a mix of genre mainstream blockbuster as well as the more obscure art house films and a different perspective on um, Asian stories. This also includes the diasporic um, experiences as well. Um, And then this year we also have a special collaboration with um, Kaboom Animation Festival where we selected four um, animations that are about Asia. So for example, there's Blind Willow's Sleeping Woman, which is a film that is made by a French filmmaker, but then is very much inspired by Haruki Murakami. There's also the classic um, Tatsumi, which is a film that is made by um, Singaporean director Eric Koo about a Japanese monk. Um, and apart from these three sections, we also have another collaborations for with um, Queer East Film Festival, which is the sort of queer East and Southeast Asian Film Festival in London. Together, we curated a short film selection that is mostly based on the gender fluidity um, in queer individuals. Uh, yeah. So that's the film selection programming part. And the special events are mostly focused on the LGBTQ, but also the community program. So, so alongside the film selection, we also very much... Um, try as much as we can to bring communities together. So the different parts of our communities, for example, um, this year we have the Queer Nong Kong, which is a gathering session with um, crafty activities as well as workshops, but um, it's a very um, open-ended and loose um, session because, I mean, the Nong Kong is basically um, an Indonesian term for gathering without any purposes. So that was sort of one of the initiatives that we do. We also make like panel discussions that are um, about films because there are some films that we felt like that requires some special attentions or special um, discussions. For example, we have our opening film, Return to Soul, which is a film about... um, like a woman who has adoption history. So with that, we have a discussion today with a group of um, people with adoption histories. um, I think that was a a collaboration with Ari Rang and uh, Adoptipedia, I think. Um, And two days ago, we had a screening, a queer film screening uh, and a discussion about... um, queer and accessibility because the film was actually it's called ginger and honey milk it's a japanese film that is made by a queer and 
hearing impaired filmmaker. So the film was basically very much focused on um, being deaf and queer and the intersectionality of that. So we had a panel discussion that is in collaboration with um, Vu Pride and Rosa Gabar, um, where we brought together people who, um, queer people who have um, hearing impairment to discuss their experiences in comparison to the films. Yeah, I think that really highlights, of course, what Daruni uh, and it's especially I think there's a focus for her part for in the programming on the LGBTQ community as well as a film selection. Um, and me as an artistic director, of course, I more or less uh, look after the total, I would say, coming together of different parts of the festival. Uh, that is uh, from I would say programming point of view, like what we would like to highlight and how where to focus on uh, each year, each edition, but together with, um, you know, things which uh, are around these topics um, and also industry part. And we also have a film lab. So basically just to kind of put all these bits together or just to, to see how these bits to, could come together to emphasize something that we where we stand for for, for example like uh, th this year we also have uh, this all these panel discussions and focusing on i think on the identity uh, as, as a diaspora but also as, as an asian i think the reflection the mirroring of our recent history and contemporary history and and also how women are portrayed um through film and by women film directors, you could see that well reflected in the programming. So we also organize things around that. Um, and also we, in, yeah, we also invite, of course, jury members. That's also part of my task to invite, to, to decide whom to invite and why. Um, because we all would like to generate ambassadors for the film festival as well. Next to, of course, the community, um, the communities. And also we invite industry guests to have panel discussions about how to make film together from like European as well as Asian perspective. And so things like that, you know, it's a more general role, I would say, for myself, um, but it's, it requires a collaboration with the program team, but also things like industri uh, industry as well as guests to invite just to set the tone, I'd say. Yeah. And also to do interviews from time to time. It's <laughs> 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 part of the task. <laughs> yeah. So 20 years after its founding, how has the festival changed since then? I assume, I imagine it's gotten bigger and more, um, more renowned since its initial instantiation. But what can you say about how it's changed over these last two decades? Maybe I can do a try because I'm a newcomer. I have been an observer, of course. I also have been more the audience, I would say, for the festival. I think the change of the festival is not only organizational. It's also from, you know, the choice of films and also I would say what, what kind of films are out there all determines what could be programmed. And I think, and also what could be showcased, what could be focused on. And I see, of course, I mean, 20 years is also some kind of uh, history of how uh, how Asia changes. And from both economic, but also, you know, uh, cultural uh, development point of view and how the world relates to Asia. So I see that and in terms of uh, how diverse the film has become point of view. I think you could really read that back. Uh, from the programming and also how the festival is being positioned and also perceived and attended point of view throughout the 
20 years. And coming to this year's edition, you could see that actually the film really are very diverse. And uh, and the young generation filmmakers, the first feature, they are of a, such a stunning quality, I would say. And, and I feel that um, really represents, you know, the time we live in and where Asia is right now. And, you know, so I, I, I think that we are pretty proud of that development. Um, not only from a festival organizing point of view, but also in general, and how many films are being made, you know, and showcasing so many different aspects of, of that continent. It's really something to celebrate. Yeah, that brings us to the question of the film program itself. Is there anything in particular about this year's program that you wanted to draw attention to? Or what can you tell us about, about the selections you made for this year's festival? I think um, in addition to the ones I've already talked about, there are also, yeah, as, as in indeed what Jia said, that there has been a lot of um, young upcoming filmmakers and film made by women especially as well. Um, some examples of films I'd like to highlight is um, um, Orpa, which is an Indonesian um, film. That is a debut feature by um, Theo Rumansara. And this film is quite special to me because it's like, I think it's the first time I've come across um, a Papuan story that is made by majority Papuan crew. And it's, the production quality is also quite outstanding. So I, I thought it was a really impressive film. And this is the international premiere at Cinemasia. It's the first time it's been screened outside of Indonesia. Um, I think it was premiered earlier at um, the Jogja Film Festival. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jogja Asian Film Festival. Um, another film that I would like to highlight is What Happened to the Wolf. This film is made by, um, is a Burmese film made by um, um, Burmese director Nagi, who is currently in hiding mm. due to the February coup in 2021. And what made this film stand out for me is that um, it is a sort of a slow burn lesbian love story from a country where homosexuality is still um, criminalized. And the situation has gotten worse since the 2021 coup. One of the lead cast has been incarcerated in prison since um, the February coup due to her um, due to her protest against the military coup. But that's some of the examples I'd like to highlight. Ja, do you have anything you'd like to add? Or if not, no worries. But Yeah, no, I think actually adding to that very specific, I think those are very interesting insights. For, for, and, and as an introduction for those films, I think, I think which are, um, I would say, I think that where, where you don't get to see everywhere. But of course, and uh, for me, I think there are also a few general films to highlight. So we have actually uh, in our programming four films uh, shortlisted for Oscar and from which one is also actually nominated for Oscar Award of 2023. Um, Our opening film, which is uh, a Cambodian French production uh, director, um, is is the entry from Cambodia for the International Best Picture for Oscar Award. And of course, um, the bigger films such as Decision to Leave is also in our program. It's also uh, shortlisted. And 
um, All That Breathe is nominated. It's an Indian film. It's a documentary film that is uh, nominated officially for Oscar as well. What is the fourth one? I thought there is another one. Oh, yeah. Uh, of course. I forgot the one that is most related to me. <laughs> it's Hidden Letters from China. That's a, that's a feature documentary film. It's made also by a young film director, female director. It's about the secret, like a, a script uh, that is exchanged between women, um, like in, the, in, the, in, in China. And uh, so very special. So you could see them in our lineup. And uh, maybe also just uh, last bit to mention, we have uh, quite, a very, uh, quite a strong Indonesian lineup. This year, next to what um, Daruni already mentioned, Opa, uh, there are also two films I think I would like to mention. One is uh, Exile. I think it's also made by a young female director looking back on the, um, I would say, the, the, the dark history of Indonesia, like the Suharto government, the militarism, and also, um, you know, and, and we, we have a, a panel also, this I think tonight, uh, with uh, one or I think one of the protagonists will attend, and so it, it will be at Rialto Fu. Um, well, okay, and and then there's the other one I think is autom- uh, autobiography. Uh, it's by it's a fi- first feature uh, film and which won a lot of award. I think I I can't count award. I think they won something like a ten awards in three months, um, and among others the. Uh, um, the uh, like award at the Venice Film Festival. So these are, I think, the thing that I feel it's very interesting to to mention. Of course, yeah. When it comes to curating the list of films for any given year, what are you and the other organizers or the selection committee? What are you looking for in the films that you screen at a given festival? So some of our programmers, including myself, also work at other festivals. So we also. We, we've been like observing um, submissions, but also um, the lineups at other festivals. And then we would, you know, request for the screener link to watch them and to decide. Usually we, we don't really have a specific criteria, but um, what we look for is we look for authentic stories that are unique and special. And some of the, sto- some of the films we selected them because we knew that it would speak to our wider community. Like, for example, you know, there's the film like The Exiles, which has not been screened anywhere else outside of um, Indonesia, outside of Jogja Asian Film Festival. Um, This is a film that I came across and I felt like it's a very interesting documentary and it speaks volumes for us because um, some of the exiles are actually in the Netherlands at the moment and still alive. And that it is a narrative we should include in our programs programming because it's, um, yeah, the, um, the people who are in this film are part of our community as well. And with this discussion, it leads to the wider discussion of also dictatorship and the um, the dark era of um, the military rule of um, General Suharto, but also um, the post-colonial effect of Indonesia, which I think is a very important discussion as we are speaking in the in the Netherlands. So um, we, apart from choosing like films that we think is um, interesting. 
we also look at um, the films that are a bit more successful around, like that are from Asia that has been touring around the world and having probably like general release. So, for example, um, one of the films I'd like to highlight is um, Leonor Will Never Die by um, Filipina debut director Martika Ramirez Escobar. For example, this film debuted in 2022 at Sundance Film Festival, and ever since then it's been going everywhere around the world. It's currently screening in Luxembourg. Last week it was nominated for the Independent Spirit Award. So, like, yeah, so this is quite a um, well-traveled film. So then we have a both selection of like very well exposed film as well as a more obscure selection. Yeah, we try to balance that out for our audience. Especially in our like drama session, I think we try to have a combination of uh, bigger film with smaller film and all kind of films. And uh, for the, as Darwini said, for the. Uh, uh, competition part actually we are really very keen to highlight the young filmmakers so there i i think our really goal is to have this artistic value showcased and and also you know and especially the young uh, asian talent highlighted so that would be our ultimate goal for that particular session this issue of curation of the film festival brings up an even more basic question about the scope of the program. And defining Asia as an issue that we here at the International Institute for Asian Studies are constantly grappling with, where do you draw the lines and why do you draw the lines and how and all of those sorts of things. So I wonder, as the organizers of this festival what constitutes an Asian film in the eyes of the organizers? And I'm sure there's no clear-cut answer, but how do you navigate kind of the the murky borders of what constitutes Asia and Asian cinema? In general, I think, as you said, Asia, as also at uh, your institute, is a non-defined definition. So it referred to somewhere there actually. And where to draw the line always has been a challenge for our programming team because Asia has so many different countries and such a broad region. You could go as far as to, I don't know, like Afghanistan and also north to Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, all that. But of course, I think we, so far, uh, it's also a matter of, you know, you can't showcase all the countries. And uh, so far, I think our focus has been East Asia and Southeast Asia, and with, of course, more, and, and, and we do take into consideration the collaboration with other, um, like, festivals focusing more on South Asia. I think we try to balance that so that um, I think we are not everywhere all over the place, uh, have some kind of focus, but we definitely are very inclusive. Um, yeah, so I think that's also per year we would like to also look at our programming in terms of focus. Um, so we, I think we decide that also per year where to focus so, so that it, it's not everywhere and average because it's too broad to cover uh, in one edition. Is that right, Daruni? I think that is more or less what we try to do. Yeah. So if I may add, it's also about identification because some films that we've selected, for example, are not necessarily films from Asia, but films from the diaspora um, community outside of Asia. So it's not necessarily always coming from Asia itself because Asia is also a very vague entity <laughs> geographically, but also I feel like sometimes it's 
it's not just a physical space, but also memory, distant memory. Exactly. Absolutely. In addition to bringing more attention to Asian films and Asian filmmakers, one of the motivations behind Cinemasia is the need for more accurate depictions and just more depictions of Asian cultures and diasporic cultures on screen. And cinema, at least in the American context that I'm most familiar with, has a long history of misrepresenting, stereotyping, and downright ignoring Asian stories and characters. How would you characterize the current state of Asian representation in Western cinema? I think in general, the representation is getting better. Uh, but of course, I feel it is not as represented uh, as some other cultures and uh and and so I feel it is a it, it is in progress uh it's definitely from this stereotype point of view i think it is not it doesn't need to disappear either but i just feel this diversity of filmmaking that has become more possible really bring us a lot of uh diverse uh, aspects and of filmmaking and also stories and so i i think it is really something that also uh, is in progress and also in development. You, you also, and, and I think that development is becoming very, very visible. Uh, but if, of course, I think every time, every, everything takes time. It is really not there yet that if you talk about equality or things like that. Um, but it's definitely visibly increasing. I think that's also an unequal distribution of education. So, for example, I feel like in the U.S., th there has been definitely some improvement. Like, I, I noticed that this, every year since um, Crazy Rich Asian, there has been always uh, one big Asian blockbuster within Hollywood, for example. Like, with this year, it was everything, everywhere, all at once. Um and so I think, yeah, there there are like great moments, but there has also been some not so great moments for us too. And that was obviously heightened by the pandemic and the anti-Asian discrimination again mm -hmm. with that. But um, in Europe, I mean, like in, in Europe, I think it's a very different level of education or ignorance because I feel like um, Asian representation is still somewhat quite problematic. There has there is still yellow facing on popular media, for example. So I, I think it's it's a work in progress, but it will take a lot of time and a lot of educational work and um yeah to combat that. So I think cinematics been doing that or we, we've been trying to also educate and reach out and bridge this cultural gap with the general Dutch audience. Mm -hmm. As we start to move towards the end of the conversation, what do you two see as the future of Cinemasia? Are there programs or directions that you would like to see developed further in the coming years based on this year's experience or previous year's experience? What what do you see as the next five or ten years of Cinemasia looking like? In Cinemasia, yeah, it started 20 years ago. So we will, actually, almost 20 years ago, we'll be celebrating our 20-year anniversary and the 16th edition next year. Uh, as I said, I think at the very beginning of our conversation, this 20 year, of course, brought a lot of changes. So Cinemasia is changing with that 
uh, I, I, for me, it's irreversible change of the shifting of different economic as well as a cultural uh, identity and powers, I think. And, and together with that, I think Cinemasia is going to change together with that and both from, of course, the programming point of view because we, will, we would want to have more voices uh, heard and because I think it's very important there are so many voices not heard in this world, right? So far I feel there is a lot of space to, um, to, to move into and, and as Darwini said, it needs a lot of time to develop certain um, level of understanding and, and letting along interest. Uh, I feel there is something for Cinemasia to do and also from conversations, and not only curation, but also industry program point of view, such as a film lab, but also I would think um, collaboration with Asian platforms, which are there, uh, and partnership with uh, Europe, the US, and Asian uh, platforms, existing platforms, just to kind of become more of a go-to place for filmmakers to nurture filmmaking. I think that could there is a lot to be done, and I would think that could that would be our mission to do more in that space. And and I also feel the time uh, that is coming would allow us to do us to do more because there are a lot of resources. Asia has become also very resourceful in uh, in terms of media uh, resources and cultural resources, which wasn't necessarily the case twenty years ago. So that's what I would like to. Uh, hope for <laughs> yeah and work on i think i don't have very much to add to what Jia has already said but i i believe that cinemation is a work in progress it's always a work in progress mm-hmm. because that's the way it should be like nothing should be static the world keeps changing um but also i believe that um the younger generations especially the second and third generation of um the Asian diaspora in the Netherlands will become more and more vocal and confident to also join forces with us and to become more vocal in combating the ignorant stereotypes. That's one of the, probably one of the dreams and visions. Yeah. Just to add, indeed, uh, along that line, a return to Seoul is a very good example, I think, uh, because the director, he is born and raised, uh, you know, his the, his parents were from Cambodia and he actually grew till he was 25 uh, in France. So he is a French man. But then, of course, with a diaspora background and he moved back to Cambodia to basically to 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 make films and he's producing films from that country. So this is just one example. And I feel there are, there's a lot of mirroring and reflection on their own, so our own past and also the future, you know, the identity belongings. And, and with this multicultural background, um, I think also new immigrants like me, I came to the Netherlands to study. And I feel that is a different, you know, that, that's really open a different time. So I think Cinemasia is part of that. And we, we will, you know, develop together with the time where we're living in. 
on that note, I want to thank both of you, Daruni and Jia, for taking the time. I know actually we're right in the middle of the festival, so I double appreciate you both taking the time um, in the middle of this busy, busy week for you, I'm sure. Thank you very much. Best of luck with the rest of Cinemasia. And we look forward to um, hopefully having you on again to talk about future iterations of the festival in the years to come. Thank you both very much. Thank you, Ben. Thank you for having us. Thanks. That was Jia Zhao and Daruni Tartun Tavidej, two organizers of the Cinemasia Film Festival. Thank you for listening to the channel. Please subscribe to receive all future episodes. This podcast is brought to you by the International Institute for Asian Studies, a globally oriented institution based at Leiden University in the Netherlands. We are dedicated to fostering an integrated, multidisciplinary understanding of Asia and beyond, and we would love for you to get involved. For more information on our conferences, webinars, publications, and fellowship program, please visit eas.asia. That's I-I-A-S dot A-S-I-A. See you next time.